Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Let's just remind ourselves uh, of the verses, Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. Uh, Paul says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, the one we're going to be homing in on today, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, before we really get into this, I want to start off by simply congratulating you for being here today. I mean, we've just got through culturally one of the most traumatic seasons of our lifetime. Other generations that they've had to deal with their own struggles and their own trials, but we are slowly, not quite there yet, but slowly coming out of our own pretty intense set of challenges. And as I've reflected on all of this, I think part of the reason the pandemic has hit us so hard was none of us was really prepared for it. But when it hit, it was sudden. It was unexpected. And I think it's left all of us scarred in some way. But you're still here. And I want to preface everything else I'm going to say today with a genuine resounding well done. Seriously, well done. You you may not feel like you warrant many accolades, but seriously, well done for hanging on in there. Well done for enduring to this point. Well done for your faithfulness. But, sorry for bursting the bubble, we're not quite done yet. Because, like it or not, we are entering a potentially more dangerous time where until the Omicron variant suddenly reared its head, everything looked like it was seemingly getting back to some kind of semblance of normality. But beneath the surface... We were still carrying the injuries, the wounds, the scars of the previous season. It's like there can be a backs-to-the-wall mentality that kind of carries us through the crisis, but when the crisis begins to subside and the adrenaline begins to run out, at that point, I think we can be at our most vulnerable. I had the privilege of being in a webinar with a leader of a a church in New York, a guy called Tim Keller. Uh, And he said right at the start of the pandemic in that webinar that the great challenge isn't what happens at the beginning of a crisis, it's what happens a year, 18 months, two years afterwards. Talking about what they saw in New York after 9-11. He described how people are primed to have a heroic response in the moment. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that with the way the NHS has worked so sacrificially and courageously in the most harrowing of circumstances. We've seen whole communities rally round to look after the most vulnerable, the elderly, refugees. We've seen tremendous 
acts of self-sacrifice, kindness, and love. But when all the adrenaline wears off, and you begin to come to terms with what's happened, a couple of years down the line, Tim Keller described how a lot of people in the aftermath of 9-11 were just done. They'd thrown in the towel, but they weren't there anymore. Listen, we're carrying so much inside us that if we're not careful, we're going to be tempted to drop out. I mean, so many people right now are beginning to process pain, loss, disappointment, ruined dreams, the death of friends and family. And so it's not surprising if there's doubt. If people start questioning their faith or simply collapse with exhaustion. Sadly, over this time, we've also seen a number of high-profile Christian leaders, haven't we, caught up in dreadful scandals. And we can perhaps start to think, well, if, if they can fall, what hope have I got? Now, faced with all of this, how on earth are we going to get through? Well, Jesus warns us of all of this in Matthew 24, in what have got to be some of his least encouraging words ever. Uh, and we're going to have a look at those words right now. So uh, get ready, brace yourselves for a bout of discouragement. Look at what Jesus says, verse 4 of Matthew 24. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. No, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But Jesus then adds this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's warning us that these extreme periods of trial are going to cause these varied responses, causing the love of many to grow cold. But the one who endures, that the one who is faithful to the end will be saved. And so... Before circling back to our core text in Galatians 5 and looking at one of the keys to faithfulness, what I want to do first is just drill down into two of what I think are the most common causes of failure to endure to the end. Two of, if you like, the biggest challenges to remaining faithful for the long haul. The first is a failure of nerve. It's a lack of courage to endure through difficult times. And the second, it's a failure of heart. 
It's a lack of love and motivation to keep on living for God. Let me try and unpack these just a little bit more with a few real-life examples taken from the pages of the Scriptures. Let's begin by looking at a failure of nerve. According to Jesus in the passage we've just read, we're going to see more and more resistance from the people around us. And that will tempt us to shrink back from our faith and lose courage to follow Jesus well. First example of this is the example of Peter. Peter is this illustration of what can happen where there is a sudden shift of momentum in your life. When things have been going well, when it looks like we are moving out from the pandemic, and then almost overnight, there's this sudden change, and it looks like things are going to be incredibly hard again. Or when everybody seems to love you, and then you kind of stand up and uh, take a stand for truth, and it seems like overnight, suddenly everyone then hates you. Think about what happened with Peter. As we come towards the end of Jesus' life, Peter is so convinced of his own willpower to remain faithful. And so he he says to Jesus in this little private encounter, look, Jesus, I I know things seem to be getting hard. Uh, I realize that others out there might let you down. But between you and me, I just want you to know I've got your back. If everyone else denies you, you can count on me. Now, Peter is confident here. Because at this point, his vision of what Jesus is about to do is so incredibly different to how it actually works out. He thinks Jesus is going to somehow overthrow the Romans. There might be a little bit of turbulence, it might get a little bit bumpy along the way, but then everything's going to turn out as he had hoped. But when things turn out differently to what he had imagined, it all quickly begins to unravel. He goes from someone who is absolutely convinced of his own loyalty to someone who, when confronted by a teenage girl, says he doesn't even know Jesus. Three times he denies Jesus because the momentum has suddenly shifted. He's gone from being in a position of power with influence excited by all that's happening around him, to everything pivoting, and now it's dangerous. And he feels powerless, and his faithfulness is gone just like that. We need to realize that one of the things that can cause us to lose heart and to give up and to walk away from our faith is this sudden shift of momentum. That's what we see with Peter. Let's look at Elijah. Elijah is an illustration of what can happen when a dominant personality comes against us and confronts us. Elijah was this incredible prophet who stood against the idol worship among God's people. He summons famously all the prophets of the false god Baal and gets them to construct an altar. You you probably know the story. He invites the prophets of Baal to call on their God to send fire and burn up the sacrifice on their altar. And despite all of their frenzied cries, nothing happens. 
He then gets them to throw gallons of water over his own altar to make the challenge even harder. And he just prays a simple prayer. And immediately, fire from heaven falls and completely consumes the altar. He then rounds up all the false prophets, sees that they're wiped out. It's a total triumph. In that moment, he seems invincible. But straight away on the back of that, this character Jezebel comes along and says to him, in one day, I'm going to do to you what you did to the prophets of Baal. And he's terrified. This woman says she's coming for him, and he runs into the wilderness, crumples in a heap, and says to God, I've had enough. Take my life. It's amazing how one dominant personality in his life can derail him so easily. I don't know. Perhaps there's someone like that in your life. And there's someone you can think of right now who intimidates you. And if they just speak a word against you, but they just confront you, Maybe you just see an email from them in your inbox or a comment in a thread on social media and you just shut down. It's another one of the reasons why many people have a failure of nerve, a dominant personality attacks and we just can't resist. Third example, the example of Aaron. This is an illustration of what can happen when there is uncertainty about the future. But we see it in the story of the golden calf. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know there are quite a few unbelievable leadership failures in the Old Testament. But this one right here has got to be one of the very worst. If you remember the story, God's people are delivered from slavery by incredible signs and wonders. It is amazing what God does for them. And in the midst of all of this astonishing favor and blessing from God, Moses quickly pops up a mountain to receive further instruction and revelation from the God who has just delivered them. Now, admittedly, it takes a few days. It takes a little longer than the people would have liked. And so they turn around to Aaron and say, well, look, if God's forgotten us, we're going to need a replacement. So make us another God to lead us. And so, Aaron takes a load of the gold that God generously had given to the people to bless them, and he fashions it into this golden calf. And he then presents it to the people and says, Behold your God who brought you out of Egypt. Which makes no logical sense whatsoever. And yet they respond by falling down and worshipping this recently created statue of a golden calf. Moses comes back down the mountain. Understandably, he can't believe his eyes. You probably know the story. He confronts Aaron, who kind of just shrugs his shoulders and says, well, look, they're your people. You know what they're like. They were struggling. They didn't know what to do next. Things were looking pretty uncertain, so I just gave them something to put their hope in. You know, it's amazing how many people, when God is not clearly leading, when he's taking longer than perhaps we'd like, 
we collapse back and just make up a false god, or we just twist or change or manipulate God's word, or we follow the advice of someone who says what we want to hear. It makes no logical sense. But we take what God has given us for our destiny and use it in idolatry. Listen, when things are uncertain, it is very easy for our faith to wane and for us to end up looking to other things for comfort, for security, for our salvation. So there you have it. Three pretty sobering examples of what can cause us to lose our nerve in following Jesus. A sudden shift of momentum that throws us off balance causes us to doubt everything. A dominant personality comes against us and our courage just wilts. Or a time of uncertainty that causes us to question what we believe and make up our own gods to lead us in the way we think we should go. Now before we go on, I just want to pause and give you an opportunity to reflect on this. As you hear those stories, as you see those examples, have you got any of those tendencies inside of you? I don't know, as we look into the future, as we consider what it means to be faithful through this next season, as we grapple with how to endure until the end... Which of these things, which of these examples we've just looked at is the biggest threat for you? Because let's be real. If the Apostle Peter struggled, if the prophet Elijah struggled, if the leader Aaron struggled with these things, you and I are likely to struggle at some point with these things too. There probably will be times when we feel these temptations pretty acutely. And so we've got to beware in this season that we're heading into that we don't have a failure of nerve. That's the first thing. Second challenge that I very quickly want to explore with you is what I'm calling a failure of heart. A failure of heart. This is where you kind of just keep going through the motions, but your heart just isn't in it anymore, which is a huge issue, because we're called, aren't we, to love God with all our heart. You know, our faith isn't just an intellectual thing. No, it's a heart thing as well. Our faith is all about relationship, loyalty to a person, not just adherence to a set of doctrines or ideas or rules or regulations. So when the heart goes, the relationship is in serious trouble. Again, three quick examples from Scripture. First up, Moses. We've already got a little bit of an insight into Moses' life. He lived a remarkable life. But right towards the end, he starts getting frustrated with God's people. In the aftermath of that golden calf debacle, incredibly, he's still got love for the people. He pleads with God not to destroy them. But in the end, he becomes so worn down by their incessant grumbling, complaining, and, and moaning that on this one particular occasion, he ignores God's instruction 
And instead of doing as God had asked him to do and speaking to the rock and commanding it to produce water, instead he strikes the rock in anger. And when God confronts him about this, his defense is simply the behavior of the people. He moves from seeing them as his people to them being God's problem, not his. And when God says that Moses, as a result, won't enter the promised land, he ends up growing bitter with the people. I'll ask you a question. Do other Christians wind you up at times? Perhaps, don't look at them, but are, are there people in this room who perhaps wind you up at times? Perhaps you don't understand the behavior, the attitudes of, of others in your church family. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been offended. Maybe there's been some kind of misunderstanding, some breakdown in communication. And instead of practicing the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, goodness, if truth be told, there's just frustration. You know, I think we're going to have to deal with a lot of this through this season. As all around us, people are beginning to process the pain and the trauma of the last couple of years. And they're going to say things, and they're going to respond in ways that flow from their own rawness. In Ephesians, Paul urges us to put up with one another's faults because of your love. So easy to have a failure of heart because of the people around us. But please, let's keep working to show the fruit of the Spirit in our relationships. So that's an example from the life of Moses. Secondly, I think we can have a failure of heart when Jesus doesn't do what we want. We see this with Judas. Most of us, I'm guessing, are familiar with the story of Judas. It's a cautionary tale for all of us because it shows us that it is possible to spend three years with Jesus and see firsthand every single miracle and hear every word of his teaching and yet still betray him because he doesn't do what we want. Judas had a vision of what Jesus should do and what his kingdom should be, and it didn't happen, and so he sold him out. Again, I think we've got to be honest here and recognize probably we're all vulnerable to this one. Well, when Jesus doesn't give us what we feel he owes us, when circumstances perhaps work out differently to how we had hoped, in that moment where we feel disappointed or let down or abandoned, it's a test of whether we love Jesus for who he is or simply for what he does for us. The question is, will we keep loving Jesus even if we don't experience all the fruit and benefits of his kingdom? I've got to say, this has been one of the greatest sources of pain for me over the years. Seeing people I know, people I love, people I care deeply about have a failure of heart and end up walking away from Jesus 
because they were more interested in what he did or didn't do for them than who he is. Such a tragedy. And I think it's a danger for all of us. And then lastly, or at least lastly in this section, there's this character called Demas. Right at the end of Paul's life, it's pretty sad, everybody deserts him. And there's this little line just tucked away in one of his letters. He's in prison, he's about to die, and it says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. The Bible says that love for the things of this life, love for the things of this world, is a huge temptation. And it couldn't be more serious because we're also told that if we love the world, then the love of the Father isn't in us. Listen, we've got to be ruthless in getting worldliness out of our hearts. We've got to put to death the desire to be liked and be popular with the world. We've got to learn to love what God loves. May it never be said of us that we walked away from our faith because we loved the world too much. How are you all doing? These are pretty challenging words, aren't they? And we've got to take them seriously because Jesus says, remember that passage in Matthew, Jesus says that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. He says people are going to hate one another. They're going to turn and betray one another. They're going to listen to false prophets. They're going to walk away from the faith. But whoever endures to the end will be saved. These temptations we've looked at, a failure of nerve, where momentum shifts, dominant personalities oppose us, or there's just uncertainty and lack of direction, these can cause us to shrink back and fall away. And we can lose our hearts. We can lose our love and our loyalty for Jesus. There's temptation that comes from frustration with our fellow brothers and sisters in the church, or when Jesus doesn't do what we want, or when the affections of the world get into our heart, and we end up just walking away. I'm trying to show you these are very real dangers for us that are present in the pages of the Scriptures, in fact, present down through church history, and just maybe present in our own hearts today. And so, how do we avoid all of this? How do we avoid failure of nerve and failure of heart and ensure we stay faithful to the end? Well, as you asked, Galatians 5 verse 22 couldn't be clearer that faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in us. It's pretty simple. The way to safeguard against giving in and losing heart is to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so, to close this out, here are three quick-fire ways that the Holy Spirit works with us to produce faithfulness. And I repeat, works with us. It's not a passive thing where we just get zapped by the Spirit and suddenly we're faithful. No, we've got some things to do that enables the Holy Spirit to do some things in us to work faithfulness. Here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit helps us see Jesus. Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this 
by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our face. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I want, to hear th- I want you to hear this. Jesus never gets tired of us. Jesus never turns his back and walks away from us. Jesus never regrets promises he's made to us. Jesus always remains faithful. And the more we consider him and keep our eyes on him, the more able we are to keep enduring. The problem is, we can so easily get distracted, can't we? We so quickly fix our eyes on other things, which I think is where we need the help of the Holy Spirit. According to Jesus in John 16, the Spirit reveals more of Jesus to us. He guides us in truth. He passes on what he's received from Jesus and makes Jesus altogether more glorious to us. So how does the Spirit work with us to produce faithfulness? First, he helps us see Jesus. Second, he helps us to see our identity. Our culture, I think, is obsessed with identity because deep down, we don't know who we are anymore. So hard to get a reference point for self. Am I what the world thinks of me? Am I whoever I come to identify as? Am I what my parents think of me? Am I the sum total of my likes on social media? Who am I? All of which, understandably, breeds insecurity. And when it feels like our identity is under attack, well, it makes it incredibly hard to persevere. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he's in prison in Nazi Germany, facing imminent death, in a moment of total crisis, not knowing who he is or who's with him, he writes this incredible poem that ends with the words, whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. And I suggest, if we could find that same assurance, we could probably face anything. And once again, the key to this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. The Spirit does this by giving us evidence, whether it's producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives or just causing us to cry out to God as our Father or simply awakening us to our need for him. Those things affirm we belong to God, that our identity is found in him. And so we might be under attack from people. We might be uncertain about the future. Everything else might be unraveling around us, but we can remain faithful if we know our identity is secure. And then finally, in this section and every section, finally, he helps us be courageous. Look what happens to Peter. Peter goes from being petrified by a teenage girl asking whether he knew Jesus to standing up 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and preaching to the whole city who had just crucified Jesus. And if you read through the book of Acts over and over and over again, you read of people being filled with the Spirit. It says they were filled with boldness. So we might be fearful. We might feel pretty intimidated by circumstances. We may be tempted to give up. But the Holy Spirit provides us with the courage we need to faithfully endure to the end. So let's get practical. To apply all of this, why don't you make it your goal to simply set your alarm five minutes earlier every day? And just use those five minutes to sit and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you for the day ahead. Use the time to empty yourself of the things of this world, maybe the fear, the idolatry, the frustration, the disappointment. Cast it all on him. Express your need for help, for wisdom, for strength, for courage, for power. Ask him to to work with you in producing more of the fruit of him in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. Ask him to help you see more of Jesus. Ask him to show you more of who you are in him. Because... This is a season where the courage we need, the calling we need, the conviction we need, it's going to have to be God's courage, God's power, God's help. You won't make it through this next season simply with your willpower. You need help from God. If you're going to endure to the end, it's going to have to be through the power of the Holy Spirit.